The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? For Scary Tober has returned. <laughs> Welcome back to Cancel Too Soon, the podcast where we review TV shows that lasted only one season or less. It is Scary Tober, and we are bringing Cancel Too Soon back for a month of failed horror TV pilots. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I too am a critic. Um, I don't have a nickname. You don't have mm. to call me a nickname. You, you do have like a fun horror name. You wanna you wanna like sort of like Ooh. I am we we weirdly cybold. Uh, I guess I could be like Whitney Eyeball. Oh, there you go. That's, like. that's fun. That's a good but, time. But people called me that one like in the second grade, made fun oh. of my name using that name. So oh, so not. that would hurt. That would be like be that would like not be fun. A sting from when I was seven or eight years old. Okay. Well, you know. <laughs> no, I'm fine. maybe maybe I've, you should have volunteered had, that. I've had time to get over it. <laughs> okay. Good. Uh, yeah, this is Cancel Too Soon. This is our show. This is us, the show that started the Critically Acclaimed Network. Um, we've done hundreds of episodes about TV shows that lasted one season or less. Those episodes are all uh, in our feed. You can listen to every single one of them. Uh, we we had put the show on somewhat of a hiatus because it usually takes a long time to uh, produce an episode of Cancel Too Soon. Because we were there was a time when we were watching a full season of television between like 12 to 24 hours of material Every week, and that was in addition yeah. to doing new movie reviews and having a day job and trying to spend time with our families. And when you're only doing one podcast, that's kind of possible. But when you're doing what we do now, less so. But we always love it. People have asked us to bring it back. We've brought it back for a couple of specials. Uh, and uh, well, Scary Tober was always one of our favorite events. We got so, to focus so on horror shows. So we're doing it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, to keep it, you know, it's kind of simple for us. We're doing uh, failed horror pilots. Uh, if you missed last week, we did a really interesting failed pilot from Edward D. Wood Jr., the so-called worst filmmaker of all time. And I have to admit, his failed pilot for, uh, for it was Final Curtain or Portraits of Terror? Final, Final Curtain. Final yeah. Curtain was the full, was the official name of the episode. Um that, that, that episode doesn't disprove that notion that he was the worst filmmaker of all time. It certainly doesn't. It's not, it's not like, a, oh, no, 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 no. It's quite good. No, it's actually really bad. But it was a really interesting conversation. And I'm really excited uh, to have another interesting conversation today about a, a, another pilot that I, I really didn't know this movie existed. And I didn't know that this movie was based on a failed pilot. Sometimes... When uh, you make a pilot episode for a television series and the episode doesn't get picked up, they don't decide not to take it to series, uh, they will attempt to repurpose it in some way, just get something for the amount of money that they shoved into it. What's most common in this scenario is that they'll take a failed pilot and they'll air it as sort of a movie of the week 
on yeah. network television. And occasionally it does well enough or the reviews are good enough that that will then get more interest one, once more and they'll sort of reinvigorate it and turn it into a series, but usually not. It's less common, but not unheard of, that a failed pilot will get released as a theatrically released feature. The most famous example of this, certainly the most celebrated example of this, is David Lynch's Mulholland Drive. Mulholland Drive. Which we did do on Cancel Too Soon. We did, and that was a tried, fun episode. Tried to do it, like, look at it as a, a pilot. Well, we like, were able to track it... down the pilot, because like, the pilot had, like, a different ending. Yeah. It had, like, because the, the movie, uh, David Lynch, like, reshot, like... Uh, or not reshot. He he shot he new shot material. Extra footage. Yeah. He shot extra footage at the end of Mulholland Drive to just sort of wrap everything up, make it a cohesive whole, so as, as much as that movie can be. It's very dreamlike, uh, and it was very very effective, and it really really worked. Uh, the pilot episode. I mean, it's a strange episode of television. I can see why the networks were confused, but it was really good. Mm. <laughs> so. Again, uh, did they make a huge mistake? I don't know. Mulholland Drive is considered one of the... It's actually considered one of the best movies now. I see yeah, it on a lot yeah, of lists yeah. of the best movies of all time. Um, we we also covered another show uh, that did this on uh, Cancel Too Soon. On a, uh, a previous installment of Scary Tober, I think it was one of the more recent ones. Uh, it was a show... Uh, it was going to be called, I think, The Black Cloak. But when it was released as a movie, it was called Dark Intruder. And it starred Leslie Nielsen, decades right. before he was known for comedy, as a supernatural private detective. He would investigate supernatural mysteries before that became uh, kind of a cliche yeah. on television. Uh, and uh, you know what? It was pretty good. Mm-hmm. It was pretty good. I could, I would definitely have like been interested in seeing that show where Leslie Nielsen solves supernatural crimes. Uh, it was kind of it was kind of creepy. <coughs> had a fun premise. Leslie Nielsen was great. Good stuff. Yeah, and and Leslie Nielsen, like you and I grew up with Leslie Nielsen, the comedian. Yeah, uh, this was back when he was like yeah playing like a much wider variety of roles and yeah. he actually was very talented at it. playing a lot of heavies and tough guys for a long time. Yeah, so that was actually really, really cool. And here we have, this is a really exciting one because not only is it a pilot episode for, honestly, strange pitch. Mm-hmm. It, I, I think it kind of works as a pitch, but it's a strange pitch. But on top of the way that the, the narrative actually uh, functions, it is also an attempt to turn one of the most popular horror movies of all time into a television series. Okay. And when they made the transition, I had to set up this clip. Usually I just say the title and then we play the clip. Uh-huh. I had to set up the transition first because the trailer for this movie is entirely about a gimmick they added in post. Yes. Because what happened was, in order to sort of sell the movie, in order to make it a bit more of a draw in the 1960s... Um, they decided to go full William Castle and invent like a little gimmick. Uh-huh. Like people would go to these kinds of like, you know, sort of uh, uh, tawdry horror movies. Uh, and they might be more encouraged to do so if there was a promise of a gimmick. You'll see it in Emergo. Mm. Or, uh, uh, Emer- the- Emergo was. Uh- from House on Rotted Hill. Yeah. And the gimmick there was that they had a skeleton in the theater, actually there, and they would, like, send it on a rail mm. or a line just flying over the audience. Uh, not one of the better gimmicks that they've ever done. But, no, you know. but the, you know, suddenly there's a skeleton in the room with you. That's kind of... Mm. If it's unexpected, it's fun. It's fun. Yeah. It, it, I don't think it's scary, but it's fun. It's, that's true. Um, so the, the gimmick that they came up with for this movie is, uh, it turns out there are moments in this movie that are so frightening that the audience needs to be prepared for them because some people in the audience might be cowards. 
and they need to avert their eyes. And I will let uh, the head of the Society for the Protection of the Easily Scared explain the premise for you. Oh, I need to renew my membership. <laughs> this is this is uh, the, the trailer for House of Wax, or as it was called in theaters, Chamber of Horrors. I am happy to say that our exhaustive negotiations regarding the new movie, Chamber of Horrors, have been completed. Well, you know me. I jump out of my skin at... at uh, the drop of a hat. <laughs> I simply told them that there were four scenes in this new picture, Chamber of Horrors, that were so horrendous, so hair-raising, so absolutely chilling that the Society for the Protection of the Easily Scared could not give its stamp of approval. Now I can announce special arrangements have been made. Before each of the four supreme fright points, warning will be given, visual and audible, so that we uh, chickens <laughs> can cover our eyes. <clears throat> the uh, visual warning is the fear flasher. The audible warning is the horror horn. Chamber of Horrors. Chamber of Horrors, a.k.a. House of Wax. Um, I'm surprised they didn't milk the House of Wax angle, because House well, of you, Wax... You said House of Wax is one of the most popular movies of all time. At the time. And I, uh, I'm, I'm not sure if I believe you. No, no, at the time. Okay. It was one of the most popular movies of all time. Uh, House of Wax is a film uh, from from the 1950s. I forget the year offhand. I'll bring it up. I think it's 58? Uh, around there. Uh, hold on. House of Wax. 53. You're, you're a few years off. 53, yeah. Uh, it is a remake of a classic 1933 film directed by Michael Curtiz, who is best known for doing, like, you know, better known movie classics like The Adventures of Robin Hood and Casablanca. Um uh, but this is back in his early kind of pulp horror era when he was really cranking him out. Mm. And the mystery of the Wax Museum, starring Fay Ray from uh, King Kong, uh, is absolutely haunting and stunning. It was done uh, in two-color Technicolor. So Ooh, that's a good look. It's yeah. a great look. It was very briefly used. They didn't use it a lot. If you can see a movie that was shot in that and they see, res- preserved it, they're not just showing it in black and white. Well, see see Dr. X is what oh, you yeah. need to do. Oh, yeah. yeah. Dr. X and House of Wax, or sorry, Mystery of the Max, uh, Wax Museum, are an amazing Halloween double feature. They are just the most beautifully photographed films in this very unusual, very ethereal coloring process. Um, but yeah, the original story was about uh, a, a a man who ran a house of wax. And not like the Madame Tussauds where it's just like, hey, it's John Travolta, but he's wax. Mm-hmm. The old school, we're going to recreate gruesome scenes from history and lore. Yeah. So that as you're walking through and they're going to be as realistic as possible, you can see the Marquis de Sade. Do Marquis de Sade things. You can see Torquemada uh, not get torqued about anything. Uh, yuck, doesn't yuck, really, yuck. Doesn't really, doesn't, Mel Brooks did that joke better. Um, <laughs> really? Mel Brooks did a joke better? What Wait, are the odds? Mel Brooks couldn't do jokes better than you, William. Right? Uh, so it's this really wonderful, grisly sort of uh, attraction. And they were big draws. Uh, for a time. Uh, and in the movie, it turns out that the uh, guy who runs the place is actually uh, a bit of a maniac, and he has been actually killing people and using them for his statues. Uh, that's the that's the premise. Uh, 
original is great. The remake starring uh, Vincent Price. A lot of people prefer it. I think it helps that that one stars Vincent Price, who just brings a ton to it. Like, it was, like, really, really... His gravitas, his demeanor, uh, just brings a lot uh, to a movie like that. Um, And it was enormously popular. It was one of the first uh, big colorized... uh, Sorry, big color films that were released in 3D... Uh-huh. So that was a huge uh, 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 a draw, uh, and it had a lot of gags too. Like a cut, there's a carnival barker type guy who stands outside the house of wax and go, "Come one, come all, see the house of wax." And he's got those like paddle balls with like the elastic string and the ball, and he's oh, like yeah. a, he's like an expert at that apparently, and he's just doing that to the screen for a long time. <laughs> like it's really quite shameless, but it 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 works. Um, it was the number one film at the box office for five weeks. Okay. It was... and In fact, I'm actually... Oh, I forgot to bring this up. If you look up uh, uh, the highest grossing films domestically uh, and adjust for inflation, mm. uh, it, still, it still charts. Oh, wow. Yeah. It uh, used to chart pretty high. It's, though, it's been a few years since I checked. Uh, let me see if I can find something here. Uh, but... Um, yeah, it was a it was a hit. It was a huge hit. People love it. House of Wax, if you adjust for inflation, this is only domestic, is still to this day the 111th highest grossing film of all time. Really? It outgrossed domestically Frozen. It outgrossed Terminator 2 Judgment Day. <laughs> or rather outgrossed, probably more accurate is it sure. sold more tickets. Yeah, I was going to say. It sold more tickets. Because that's what inflation, adjust for inflation does. It tells you like how many butts were in the seats. Mm. So if, like, if the same number of tickets were bought today, here's how much it would have grossed. House of Wax sold more tickets than Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2, the one that finished it all. It, it was a monster. It was a huge, gigantic success. So... Wanting to turn that into, you know, a franchisable IP, more than just one film, makes a lot of sense. I'm surprised they didn't do more. Sequels, for God's sakes. Just, you just, it's a horror movie centered around a house of wax. You can come up with something. But in 1960, uh, uh, around 1966, uh, they commissioned a pilot for House of Wax... Uh, from uh, a couple of interesting writers, uh, Ray Russell co-wrote the the story for this, uh, and he worked with William Castle a couple of times. He wrote uh, the novella Mister Sardonicus was based on, and that's a great oh, okay. movie. Uh, he wrote the screenplay for Zots, a film I've actually never seen. Oh, it's a William Castle movie. Yeah, uh, he wrote the screenplay for X, the Man with X-ray Eyes. Oh, which I haven't seen. Yeah, so he's got a cool pedigree. That's, actually, uh, Ray Milland was in X, the Man with X-ray Eyes. I right? think yeah. you're correct. Uh, and then uh, it was also written by uh, Stephen Candell. Uh, Stephen Candell is someone we've covered a couple of times on our various podcasts. Uh, he wrote the two uh, Harry Mud episodes of the original Star Trek. Oh, so it's it's his fault. I mean, uh... <laughs> we're not we're we're really not fans of the character. Um, not not a huge fan of Harry. No, Mode. no, no. But uh, he wrote a ton of TV. Uh, and, uh, yeah, pretty cool. He wrote a couple episodes of Batman, the, the live-action oh, series cool. with Adam West. Uh, so it's got a pretty good pedigree. Uh, and the premise of the show, um, it's it's a little... It takes a couple of scenes to really sort of reveal what the show would have been, because it feels like yeah, this well, first third is just setting up the villain. But yeah. once it settles in, the basic premise is there's a couple of guys who run a local house of wax. 
Yeah. And what they do is they don't just do like horror shows from the past. They will also create in wax recent crimes. Uh-huh. And they are both experts in criminology. And this because it helps them with their wax works. And so they are also amateur sleuths who sometimes help the police out. And basically the premise would be they would catch the grisliest villains. People who want to do something really gross and violent. Yeah. Uh, the the premise of the, the show that mm. was never made uh, would have starred uh, Cesar Danova. I think it might be Cesare, but yeah. Uh, yeah he oh, was, okay. uh, Who was in a lot of things. He was in Mean Streets. He was in National Oh, he's Hotels. Italian. It would be Cesare. Yeah. 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 Uh, he was in Mean uh, Streets. He was in the, one of the better Elvis movies, Viva Las Vegas. Yeah, he plays yeah. Anthony Draco. Yeah. Uh, there was the... the the sort of older expert, that's uh, Harold Blount. He's played by Wilfred Hyde-White. Um, mm. I knew Wilfred Hyde-White uh, because he was in uh, My Fair Lady. Yes, he played uh, the, the, was it the general or the, the, uh, the colonel? Yeah, the, 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 the old, the old uh, man pi- who pi- lived with... Uh, general Pickering. Or general, yeah. Colonel Pickering. Colonel Pickering. Pickering. Colonel Pickering. It was Colonel Pickering. Yeah. The, the guy who uh, bet Henry Higgins... That he couldn't turn Eliza Doolittle into a, into a lady, yeah, uh, and actually had her side for most of it. Very fun role, uh, yeah, great actor. And, uh, and yes, he is the father of Alex Hyde White. And mm, actually, did not know that. Uh, and uh, and then of course they actually have and there's a third uh, member. So uh, uh, yeah. Cesare Denova is like the 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 MC, the face mm. of the operation, yeah. the handsome, you know, sexy lead. Uh, our uh, uh, what was his name? Hyde White? Wilfred uh, Hyde White? Wil- Wilfred Hyde White, well, yeah. yeah. He's, he's Her- like the Her- older expert. Harold is the older guy, yeah. yeah. he's the older expert. He's a bit of a, bit of a funny character. Uh, and then they also have uh, uh, another... Uh, Tun-Tun. Yeah, a prolific little person actor. He mm. was in a, a ton of stuff, actually. Um, and uh, he, his role is kind of hazily well, defined. Well, he, he's, uh, he's like the man on the street. Mm. Like, he, he's like a... A little less uh, experienced as an investigator, but mm-hmm. he like knows people. So yeah. he, he's like the charmer. Like he's not the face of the operation, but he kind of yeah. kind of schmooze really easily. Yeah. So I actually like the dynamic between these three characters because they each have their own kind of uh, element of expertise. Yeah, that and they can bring to the investigation. Yeah, it's not just like one person does all the work, or there's like a ton of overlap. It feels like they're all uh, doing something kind of interesting. Um, I gotta give. This movie, and I want to talk about the gimmick in a minute, but I, I, I really got to give this movie a lot of credit, um, slash pilot. Mm. Uh, it's got an opening hook that grabbed me. Like, from the opening scene, I was like, oh, what the hell are we watching? This is a great idea for an opening of a movie. It opens with... Um, in, it's like a stormy night, uh, there's a creepy house, and it's mm. like early 1900s, turn-of-the-century Baltimore. Uh, and a man is forcing a priest in this house at gunpoint. Oh yes, <laughs> to marry him and the woman he loves, who is currently dead. <laughs> Please marry me to this corpse, or I will shoot you. And the guy is like, you know, very you know, can barely like you know get a sentence out. He's so terrified. And then he he marries him. He he the 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 villain pays the guy. And then just carries his corpse bride up the stairs like that Tom Petty music video, Last Dance with Mary Jane. Uh, <laughs> Go. Good, good reference. Good there. reference. If you've never seen that, Tom Petty 
made a couple of really creepy music videos between Don't Come Around oh, Here and, between Don't Come Around Here No More, which is this really like nightmarish Alice in Wonderland yeah, yeah. gag where he plays the Mad Hatter. I think that's his most famous video, but yeah. probably like and at the end they like turn Alice into cake and they eat her. Weird. Um, but his, his creepiest one is uh, Mary Jane's Last Dance, uh, where uh, Kim Basinger does a does a stars in it as a corpse that Tom Petty, who plays like some kind of orderly at a hospital, steals from the morgue, uh-huh. carries home with him, and pretends to be married to over the course of the song. That was really dark for the mid nineties on MTV. And especially for Tom Petty, he was not considered that malevolent. Uh, 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 he wasn't like Alice Cooper or someone who would like <laughs> right. normally do that. So it was very weird. Um, so our madman carries the corpse upstairs, puts her in bed, wraps her hair around her neck, <laughs> lights candles, pours himself some champagne. And yeah, obviously we cut away. It's the 1960s. We're not doing like hard R movies yet. Uh, we all know... What they're getting at. Oh, have, It's have, their wedding night. Have, have you seen York Bootgerite movies? <laughs> ah, yes. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot that everyone at home has seen Jorg Bootgerite movies. Yeah, yeah, the, uh, the Common ne- household ne- name. Necromantic films. Every, yeah. I, I think listeners of this podcast <laughs> might might know about Jorg Bootgerite. Oh, oh, don't but, get me wrong. I'm sure some do. But Jorg Bootgerite is a very controversial European filmmaker who mm. does these very uh, gross films about love and corpses. Yeah. Uh, if you don't know his name, that's okay. You do now. Yeah, Necromantic. You're never gonna forget it. Necromantic Two. Uh, yeah. Der Todes King. Um, a couple others. Yeah, good times. Um, and then we cut to uh, our heroes, and they're in a police station, and they're talking to a handsome young detective. And I was really confused at first because I, I didn't know like what the pitch was for the show yet. I, I went in not knowing anything about yeah. it, other than it was kind of based on House of Wax. Um, I thought the detective was going to be the main character based on how the scene played out. Because we follow no, him afterwards. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, oh, this is going to be like this detective guy. And occasionally he enlists these House of Wax mm-hmm. guys. No, he's not important at all. But they give him way too much screen time at the beginning. It's a little misleading. I've noted that this is was presented as a feature film. And that's yeah. a really odd choice for a movie. Weirdly, I see that kind of thing a lot in TV. Yeah. Where it takes us a little while to get to the main characters. We kind of follow supporting players for a yeah. while. And I think, especially with pilots... Uh, they're not sure who the lead character is really going to be yet. Yeah, who's going to be the breakout they're, they're kind, star. Yeah, they're kind yeah. of like introducing little characters on the side, hoping, oh, if that character is more popular, we can write the show like to be more about them. Yeah, which like, can we, we don't want it to be at this old guy who owns a, a wax museum. We want to be at the dashing young detective. Yeah. Unless you like the old guy, in which case, thinking about the old guy, yeah. he is funny. Um, the thing about pilot episodes, and obviously we've reviewed literally hundreds on this show... Um, and we've seen them do well, and we've mm. seen them get picked up, at least for a season, and we've seen them absolutely tank, whether they were good or not. Um, what a pilot has to do, more than anything else, mm. is show you what the rest of the series is going to be like. Here's what you'll get next week. Here, so we're going to pick up on a... that vibe, but before you do that, a pilot usually has to set aside some time just to introduce characters yes. and the premise. And as a result, what frequently happens in a pilot is the first quarter, even the first half, is often unlike the rest of the series because we're setting up all the characters in the action. Yeah. And then they shove 
here's what the rest of the series will be like uh, in total, like every episode into the second half of the episode. Here it's more like the first third of the movie mm. is set up, and then the last hour is what probably the show would have been. Uh, and I, th- I think this particular, like looking at it as a, as a pilot, I think this uh, episode does it really, really well. Yeah, I agree. In terms of establishing who the characters are and giving just enough uh, time to the story. Mm. There, I'm okay with pilots that spend a lot of time setting up and give a, like a not so interesting story in the pilot because mm. it is about the characters and the, yeah. the actual premise and where you're going to go. Week the characters week. are who we're going to revisit over and over again, not the problem yeah. they solve in the pilot. Exactly. Yeah. So, okay. Pilot, whatever story kind of lackluster, but the story here mm-hmm. is really grisly and bizarre and wonderful. Especially for the sixties. Uh, yeah. It, from what I understand, uh, this was just considered too intense for TV. They couldn't yeah. do it. And in fact, they put it on the big screen and added that little cushion. We haven't talked about the gimmick yet. Yeah, we, we mentioned uh, it a little, but yeah. But uh, there was there was going to be like a, a red flickering on the screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, what was it? What do they call that? It was the fear flasher. The fear flasher. Yeah, uh, the, this the, is before the, they cared about people like who if, were epileptic because so, it's yeah, really uh, the, it's just a bright light flashing in front of your face for a minute. The uh, so yeah, if somebody was like raising a cleaver above their head and they're about to bring it down on someone's head. The the Image would freeze very briefly. The yeah. screen would flicker really quick, yeah. red, and there'd be this, this really like, loud, piercing noise called the horror horn. And yeah, the horror horn. And the, cover your eyes when you hear the horror horn. Uh, and the idea was, when you see that or hear that, avert your eyes. Yeah, something too shocking to, to look at. Uh, and this is clearly a knockoff from like the William Castle oh, yeah. stuff. Uh, it doesn't really work. Like even just I, on its you know face, what? I don't think I, it does. Well, I, I don't think it's. I think it makes it more fun. Oh, it's, uh, because, it's a fun you, know, you, you see, you know, the knife going up. It's about to stab somebody, and you sort of see the flicker, and you're like, "Oh, it's gonna be cool." It's good. The, the violence yeah. is nigh. It's, oh, it's yeah. you know, it adds a little bit of tension. I think it's a good storytelling gimmick. It's mm. not like a warn you from violence kind of gimmick. Yeah, because that's the thing. It, it's the alleged intention is to prepare you to see something shocking, or rather, to not see something shocking, and. That doesn't work because they will, it, it doesn't, like, the horror, the, the flashing screen and the horror horn don't play over the violent action. So let's say you did close your eyes. Uh-huh. Let's say you did want to play along. Let's say you are, you know, someone who doesn't really like these kinds of horror movies and you were dragged to it by your date or whatever. Um, the natural implication, I think, is, oh, so there's the horror horn. Okay, I'm going to close my eyes. And then when the horror horn is over, I can open my eyes again, right? No, actually, the actual act of violence could take place anywhere from 10 to 60 seconds after that. Wow. Which is really, yeah. I don't think yeah, that's the it's... best possible gimmick. Also, the most gruesome death in the movie, the last one where the, the villain gets it. Uh-huh. No, no fear flasher or horror horn. No, <laughs> it just comes out of nowhere. I guess because it's karmic justice, they they let it go. But it is the most vivid mm. gore. Um, I was reminded of uh, the punishment pole. Yeah, uh, in in that last one, yeah. um, which was a William Castle gimmick was, for Mister Sardonica. Yeah, which and, uh, one of the same writers, Ray uh, Ray Russell. There you go. Um, yeah, but that's a great gimmick. The punishment pole. Oh, I love the punishment pole. Well, the problem with the punishment pole is that. Uh, it's a lie. You, you were given a thumbs up or a thumb down. You could hold up in the yeah. theater. It's like, oh, here's the villain. He's been caught. Yeah. What do you think should happen? Should you should he, should you let him go, mm-hmm. or should he be punished? And 
William Castle didn't film two endings. He no, just filmed the movie. The, the, the projectionist uh, isn't up there waiting to switch reels. Yeah. They're just the only ending. And think the idea is that no one's actually going to count the votes in the theater uh-huh. and check. So the assumption is, yeah, yeah, everybody's voted no, right? Thumbs down. So, yeah. so, so that, that's the ending you get. And yeah, and then he gets an ironic ending, and it's a great movie, Mister Sardonis. Oh, Mister Sardonis really is terrific. William Castle is best known for his gimmicks, but his movies are usually very good too. Oh, uh, they're yeah. Even if you're, because you can't see these things in a theater with the gimmicks usually. Yeah. I mean, sometimes a repertory house might wire up a seat yeah. for Percepto, and I think but, they uh, might have released Thirteen Ghosts with like the glasses, so you can recreate yeah, that effect yeah, at home. Illusiono, yeah. he called it. Where if you 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 have glasses with like red. Uh, there was a, a red filter and a blue filter. And yeah, if you, and if you, depending on which eye you closed, you could either see the ghosts very clearly, or because the ghosts were like red on screen, mm-hmm. if you look through the red filter, you can't see the ghosts. That's right. So, and, uh, and you chose which one if you believed in ghosts or not. Yeah. If you don't believe in ghosts, look through the red filter. If you do, look through the blue filter, yeah. and you can see them. I love 13 Ghosts. 13 Ghosts is a good movie. That's too. a real, the original one. I, I don't dislike the remake, actually. It's fun in its own mm-hmm. way, but that original is just a classic. Mm-hmm. Just it, it, it's pretty kid friendly, you know. Yeah, like there's yeah. a couple like kind of scary bits, but mostly it's just it's practically just like uh, this is for like kids in the audience yeah. who like kind of horrifying things, and it's uh, a really good tone. Despite the William Castle gimmick in Chamber of Horrors, yeah, it feels a lot more like a Hammer film to me. Like it has mm-hmm. this kind of oh, the, the aesthetic the, is yeah, yeah. The, the aesthetic, not just because of the costumes and and the aesthetic, mm-hmm. but uh, just the the kind of grim attitude. Yeah, uh, Hammer films were pretty horrific like they they that was a selling point they, they weren't were, like they were more they, yeah. sexual they were more violent there was more blood, more blood in them. Yeah, they so, would do the same stories you saw from like the universal mm-hmm. horror stories frankenstein the wolfman uh dracula but they, they pushed uh, them be, a little further yeah, they yeah. would be more graphic now and and i feel be. and even though uh this movie could easily be rated pg there's there's so many severed limbs in this thing there's one shot in this movie that kind of freaked me out a little was it the shot where the, he like pulls up, like he has the hands on the tray? No, but that's a good one. Right. No, I'll, I'll, we'll get to it when we get to it because it just it was legitimately an image I hadn't really seen before, uh-huh. and it was just I know you're not showing what you're not showing to like not have to worry about having to censor it. Also, not showing it the way that you're not showing it makes it creepier. <laughs> it's like legitimately very good. Um, so, uh, so, so we have our, our we have our bad guy who's married a corpse. Uh, the bad guy is played by Patrick O'Neill, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, and he is very clearly been given the instruction: do it like Vincent Price. Yeah, yeah. Vincent Price. We can't he, get he Vincent even Price. Looks like Vincent Price, he does. He they make him up a little bit. Like in reality, he didn't look that much like him, but they made him up like it. He's kind of doing the Vincent Price voice. He's trying to bring that kind of creepy elegance that Vincent Price would bring to a lot of roles like this. Um, uh, Patrick O'Neill did a lot of like big movies. He was uh, he was in the Stepford Wives. Uh, he was the captain in Under Siege. That was one of his last movies. Uh, he was in The Way We Were. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, really good, really long career. Uh, and uh, and I think he's really, really good in this. I think he, he understands the role very, very well. Uh, so yeah, he's he's murdered the, the young woman. We do find that out. That is, he's only, He just stole her like Tom Petty did. Tom... <laughs> You gotta bring Tom Petty in. This. I saw that documentary. I feel like it's worth bringing up. Um, <laughs> Which documentary is this? Yeah, that music video. Anyway, <laughs> they're all documentaries. Running down a dream—that's actually what happens to him when he sleeps. 
if you've never seen Running Down a Dream, one of my favorite music videos of all time, it's Tom Petty falling asleep and going into like this fully animated Little Nemo's Adventures in Slumberland adventure. Mm-hmm. And it's really, it's an awesome, it's like one of the best road trip songs ever written. Uh, and it's a great music video too. I love it. Um, oops, I going with this. Okay, so yeah, the, 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 the Madman's <laughs> on, the, the Mad on the run. Okay. Uh, and uh, our House of Wax heroes uh, have been enlisted to help find him. Uh, how do we find him? Well, there's a there's like a dowager empress, like a, a, the character like Maggie Smith would play now, oh, uh, who like yeah. shows up and says, "Yes, the killer is my nephew, and I don't like him very much. I'd like you to mm. get him." But but she admits like, "Oh yes, he was terribly, horribly terrible, yeah. and used to torture animals. Always been he's bad egg from the start." Well, she said something weird. Actually, she said he was always nice to animals and tortured the servants. Oh, that's right. Which is yeah. an interesting distinction people right. usually wouldn't do in in fiction. But uh, but yeah. also that she's he comes like he was on the run from the law, so I gave him some help and I helped him yeah. on his way. It's like reluctantly helping on her nephew, but doesn't like yeah. that she's kind of beholden to him. Yeah, I think I think he stole her jewels, and that that's and right. that was like stole, the last stole straw. Jewelers. Like, did you call the police? No, I just let him have it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, she's. But she ta- wants she wants him caught. It's, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a stain on the on the family name. So they're enlisted, uh, and they're trying to and, track and, him down. And again, this this is a complete aside from the story. Oh yeah, and this is just going to be a recurring character. So if if you're yeah. watching this as a film, it's going to be really weird to have yeah. all these kind of asides. But as a pilot, yeah. it makes perfect sense. Um, there's a one. There's a good bit here which I really really like uh, because it talks about sort of criminal like psychological profiling, particularly of serial killers. Uh, before that was a thing. Mm. Like, if you ever saw that Netflix series Mindhunters and just how tricky it was to convince law enforcement that in order to catch... Some, like, if, most people assumed for a long time that if you killed someone, there must have been a reason. Money. Sex. Drugs. Some kind of practical goal like you were trying to achieve that we can wrap our heads around. The idea that someone would simply be compelled to do terrible things uh-huh. uh, was something that the police would write off as, well... That person is mad. Mm-hmm. So we we can't predict anything they're going to do. In actuality, there's a lot of interesting psychology behind that. Terrifying, but interesting. Um, and developing, actually, the system with which we would yeah. psychoanalyze people of, of that ilk uh, is something that it became, thanks to books like Red Dragon, movies like Manhunter, Sounds mm-hmm. of the Lambs, more of something that I think audiences are very familiar with, but at the time this movie was made, and certainly at the time it's set, that would not be a thing. Well, it was kind of because Psycho had come out at this point. Mm. Oh, yeah, uh, and uh, and Psycho point, yeah. had uh, you know the, so popped the cork on that. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, that famous scene at the end where yeah. it's, uh, the shrink just sort of explains everything that's going yeah. on psychologically, and that that became really common. In fact, the yeah. whole um, I guess we're still relatively new, but fair enough. Yeah, yeah. You, you would notice a lot of horror movies from the nineteen sixties involved a lot of like Freudian freakout stuff. Yeah, it's like it was really his mother. That's actually. Kind of a callback to what was going on in Psycho. That's true. Um, You're right. But the, when the movie is set, anyway, mm-hmm. uh, the idea that these guys who are just like, well, actually, uh, if he is uh, uh, compelled to kill, uh, he must. He's doing it in some kind of cycle and wants to repeat behaviors. And it's like, that's not far off, actually. Mm-hmm. And so they they come across as very sensible. The cops don't believe them. And so one of their techniques to try to track this guy down is this guy is going to have. Uh, uh, desires, obsessions, compulsions, fetishes, if you will, uh, that need to be served. Uh, 
we need to track those down. And so they uh, investigate into uh, sort of the wrong side of the tracks part of town. And they do a lot of drinking. And they speak to a lot of sex workers. Uh, but it all comes down to Tantan, who um, decides to go to a brothel. Why? Mm. He has an excuse to go to a brothel tonight. <laughs> so he, he wants does. To, yeah. Love him for that. What I don't like, in, and I understand it's a different time, mm. and I'm glad Tantan got work and he got like a fun character to play. I'd say about two-thirds of his dialogue are jokes about his height. Well, a lot of people kind of approach him uh, yeah. and just comment on his height, like yeah. right away. It's like, oh, you are not a tall man. And yeah. and to the the character and the actor's credit, mm-hmm. he just sort of comes back right at them with complete confidence. Like, yeah, so what? Yeah, uh, throws it in their face, makes a joke, like, takes control I'm of the conversation. I'm one of your customers, and, and then they treat him with dignity after that. Yeah. It's like they, they make a gag at his expense, but mm-hmm. then he doesn't take it. So yeah, it's it's better than it could be. I just yeah. I just wish he'd had more like, to talk about. I, I suppose so. That's he, all I mean. He's, you know? He is like he he's like the least of the three characters. Like he's given the least amount of screen time. Yeah, uh, I, I wish all three of them kind of were working as a unit more solidly. But that know. is also the kind of thing that over multiple episodes they would have been able to do. There would yeah. have been an episode that focused a little more on his character, focused a little, mm-hmm. bit, a little bit more on Wilfred Hyde White. That kind of thing. And they sort of find a groove over time. Yeah. But yeah, and the pilot, he's a little underserved. Um, he's the... Oh, who was the guy with the rumpled hat in Perry Mason? Um, I never really watched a lot of Perry Mason. Okay, because there was Perry Mason. Yeah. Uh, there was Della Street, his uh, his secretary. Okay. And then there was, like, his detective buddy, who, like, did, yeah. the like, all the footwork for him. No, I, I don't remember. And I feel that's, that's ton-ton. He's, yeah, he does probably. the footwork. Yeah, yeah. Um... Anyway, he's he goes off and and has oh gosh, a wonderful dry, time. Hold on, this Perry Mason thing's right. Yeah, crazy. he goes off. He has a wonderful time. They all reconvene at the House of Wax, same House of Wax set as the movie, by the way. At least the exterior, uh, and that's cool. Uh, so that little bit of continuity there. Paul I guess Drake. They, Paul Drake. Nice. <laughs> From Perry Mason. Played I, by I, William Hopper. They don't explicitly say this. I like to think that these are the guys who like bought the House of Wax building after Vincent Price died in House of Wax, and that's like uh-huh. our level continuity here, uh-huh. which would be kind of fun. Um, so, uh, uh, oh, what are their names? Hold on. Uh, yeah, they have names, and they're fun. Uh, Wilford Headwhite. I, I meant the characters. Oh, oh um, it was uh, it's... Anthony Draco, Harold Blount, and... Uh, and Jose. And Jose. Um no, actually, no. Jose is the is the actor's oh, name. Jose, Jose Rene Ruiz, Ruiz Martinez yeah. is the actor's yeah. name. And his, um, his, Senor Pe- Pepe Duras. Yes, is the uh, character's name. They all reconvened at the House of Wax. They like what they learned, and the only person who learned anything was Tantan. And uh, I just went to all the trouble of learning the character's name, and I called him Tantan. Pepe. Pepe. Uh, the only person, and Pepe was just like, yeah, I was, I was at this uh, uh, brothel, and they're like, really? Said, Shut up, okay? Listen, I was there, I, I and I found been drinking a, absolutely. Yeah, but there, here's what I found. There's a guy <laughs> who is apparently at this brothel, who is. Hiring a sex worker to get married to him every single night, mm. which is pretty specific. And given the nature of the opening scene with the wedding, they're like, oh, that's that, that that's might the be guy. the guy. Yeah. So the police raid the place. They arrest the guy. He is pretty quickly railroaded. I mean, he did it, but like he's just the, the justice system works really quick for this one. Uh and he, we then cut to him on a train. Okay. He's being escorted the fugitive style mm. uh, to his doom to be executed. Uh, and 
in a pretty daring escape, honestly. Well, he's he's handcuffed to a rail in between yeah. cars. Yeah, and during so, this transfer, and he grabs like a knife and he tries to like cut through uh, the handcuffs while the guard mm. is briefly distracted. That doesn't work, and then fear flasher and horror horn, <laughs> and he and then he actually just pulls out the thing that the handcuff is attached to, and then like jumps down mm. into the water and only cuts his hand off in the water. And I'm like, well, then wait a minute for the fear flasher, dude. That's the gruesome moment, not mm. him jumping off the train. I think they were trying to trick people. It's like, hide your eyes. <laughs> Safe to look now. Okay. Just okay. kidding. Ha ha hack hack hack. Okay, if that's actually true, I love that. <laughs> I legitimately love that. Mm. Oh, and um, did I? Did we talk over the... the was it... I think it was. It was the scene where Pepe We're goes into the first third. Here, no, but the but scene yeah. where Pepe goes into the brothel is the scene with our cameo. That's oh, we, that's we didn't talk about the cameo. Yeah. They shot a special cameo with one of the biggest movie stars of the day, just for fun. Like it, they didn't put in the trailer or anything. No, it's not on it's, the poster, and, it, and the footage doesn't match that well. Like no. they clearly shot it after the fact on has, a different set. Has nothing uh, to do with anything. Uh, but Tony Curtis is in this movie. Tony Curtis from The Persuaders, another show we've covered on this series. Uh, and and he, he's just sitting there. Hmm, I playing think he's, poker. He's gambling. Yeah. And, uh, Surrounded by attractive women. And and he says, hey, I'm, he turns to the camera. And I think he just dir- looks at the camera directly and says, hello, I'm Tony Curtis. And then they cut. <laughs> like, that's that's as shameless as it is. Yeah, it's basically just, hey, um, I've got surrounded by women. Everyone loves me and I'm rich and good at gambling. Hey, baby. And then they just cut away and that's it. That's the whole bit. Like, you couldn't do a joke or or something? It just feels like... I mean, it's kind of cool you got Tony Curtis, but it's so random. Weird, right? I, I, was, I'm try, I was trying to think of like a like a, a pun or a reference to a film he had been in. Uh huh. It's like uh, like, it's like oh, uh, here's here's your toddy. Oh, it's it's cold. I like it hot. You know, some, that something would be along good. those lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh oh, oh, uh, uh hey, can I uh, can I get a new refill? Uh, I think you've had too many, sir. Oh, aren't you the defined one? Uh, oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah that'd I, be great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also shameless, but at the very least, you're making the most of the moment. Yeah, they, they just he's there and yeah. hey, Weird. there it is. Very strange, but when, it, it's when, fun. when was Around the World in eighty days? Oh, that was that was that had to come out. That was late fifties. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was um, as, it, Around the World. If you don't know, Around the World in eighty days is uh, one of the more notorious Best Picture winners in Oscar history. It was up against a lot like more popular and famous things that people remember better now. But it was this big giant Around the World in eighty days adventure. They flew mm-hmm. around the world and everywhere they went, cameos. A lot of celebrity cameos. Tons and, of cameos. And the, the, the Frank Sinatra cameo in Around yeah. the World in 80 Days is, is, is like one of the golden standards for the way cameos function in feature films. Yeah. Uh, because the, the, he, the characters are all just sort of hanging out in a bar, and as they're leaving, uh, mm. the piano player sort of turns around very slowly, and we see him in profile, and he kind of looks over his shoulder, and it's Frank Sinatra. And everybody, and everybody in the audience just goes, hey! He's been there the whole time. And, it's been like a five-minute scene, and we only saw his face yeah. for one second at the end. And and that's it. It's just that <laughs> shock of recognition. That's all yeah. you get. It's uh, fun. So it's a great cameo. It, it it sort of like cracked the seal on shamelessness when it mm. came to cameos. That's clearly still being written out like a, yeah. almost a decade later. There, in this there were thing. always cameos of one kind or another since we started having like celebrity culture. Mm. But that's around the early days was a whole movie of nothing but cameos. Like yeah. it was like the only reason constructed it existed. that way. Yeah, pretty well. Um, so the guy gets arrested. He's sentenced to die, and then he cuts his hand off 
and uh, we cut to like the hand. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's still attached to the handcuff, and it's attached to this like metal like uh, wheel that he removed from the train, and. It's apparently it's been a few weeks or months, and they show it to the House of Wax guys, and they're just like, "Yeah, I mean, he's probably dead. <laughs> There's an excellent chance, uh, but it turns out he's not. Ooh." Yeah, mm-hmm. didn't see that one coming, did you? Yeah, no, you yeah. did, because there's an hour left except, in the movie. Except, except I totally did. Um, yeah, he is uh, now uh, shoved a hook. Uh, where his hand used to be. Well, not just a hook. He's got like this. Uh, He's got well, interchangeable a series of prosthetics. Tools, yeah, and and almost all of them are like grisly and gruesome and sharp or something. Mm-hmm. And a few of them are like almost Batman villain gags. And well, there's one actually pretty good one later in the movie. I'll get. To, oh, I, I love the yeah. The, yeah. There's a, a really cool tool violence he uses. Uh, uh, but yeah, so it's like there's a hook and he uses that a lot. And he enlists. Uh, well, a sex worker. Well, now, now he wants revenge. Yes, he's he's escaped, but yeah. he can't just go on the lam. He has to get back at the people who caught him, he's a, including he, the judge and the cops who arrested him. What's weird is he has abandoned his whole modus operandi, his whole mm. thing about being obsessed with women and necrophilia and marriage, which was kind of the defining feature of him as a villain. No, now I just kill just people revenge, who, yeah. who who threw me in jail. Well, the judge, the mm. doctor who said and, that uh, I was sane. That and kind of because thing. he lost a limb, uh, yeah. his M.O. for revenge is limb-related. Yes. So uh, He's going to be severing a lot of body parts. A lot, lot of body parts. Yeah. And eventually, over the course of the pilot, it's going to be revealed that he's, like in the movie May, yeah. the Lucky McKee film. Great movie, uh, one of the best. And I, yeah, I love May. Watch Classic. May. Yeah. Depressing as fuck, but really oh, yeah. wonderful. But it, um, beautiful film. Yeah. Uh, he's he is essentially cutting off the body parts that one would need to construct a whole corpse. Yeah, yeah. He's he's creating a bespoke corpse. Yeah. Based on the parts, and so a, it's a, like a, an exquisite corpse, if you will. Hey, there you go. <laughs> uh, so he's taking like ah yes, that's the long arm of the law. So we'll take the arms from this guy, yeah. and like you know that kind of thing, yeah. and so and, and the hands of somebody else, and, and, the, and the torso of somebody yeah. else. The uh, what they do, but there's another character, yeah. uh, the sex worker, you're about to mention. Yeah. Yeah, uh, she is enlisted from him to help uh, basically lure the various men, and they're all men, uh, he's going to kill, uh, to their doom. Uh, she's played by an actress named Laura Devon. Um, not as, like, pro- she's in a lot of stuff, but it was, like, mostly TV. I'm actually trying to think if there's anything, like, if there's any, I'm looking at her filmography now to see if anything really stands out. Uh, but uh, she was in a couple episodes of The Twilight Zone, etc. Um but yeah, she's she's a sex worker. She's enlisted by him. He's gonna in a very my fair lady kind of way. So we're bringing yeah, it back to yeah. Wilfred Hyde White. Uh, he's gonna make it so that she can impersonate a fancy lady, mm. uh, and then she is going to seduce all of the various men that he wants to kill and get them into a secluded place so that he can kill them. She doesn't know he's gonna kill them. She thinks she says later on that she thought it was like some kind of blackmail scheme. So you know her moral compass is still. A little askew, but she's not a monster. Yeah. Um, so that's what she does. She uh, goes to the judge. The judge is uh, one of those uh, one of those randy judges who keeps an apartment in town. Uh, and uh, you know she takes him to a fancy restaurant, and they go home. And then he is murdered. Murdered quite quite murderedly. Mur- mur- murdered most foul. Yes. Uh, and the, he cuts off the dude's. I think arms and and head. No, not not his head. Oh, just the arms. Yeah. It was um, 
It was our main character. It was going to be the head. That's right. He cuts off the arms, and they find the corpse. The corpse is, like, deposited somewhere. But, no, he does cut off the head because they don't know who it is. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, they just don't know who it is. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, But he deposits the corpse, and we see the corpse on a table in a paper bag. Like, it's been wrapped around it like 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 Like, meat you would grab from the butcher. And it's just... You can see very clearly, those are the legs, they're kind of curled up. It's not like laid out flat. Those are the feet, that's the torso, and there are no arms, and there is no head. And that kind of freaked me out a little bit. That's a really creepy, yeah. like, you, yeah. if that was on Hannibal now, people would say, like, ooh, that's one of my favorite creep-out scenes in Hannibal. And uh, it, it's, uh, it resembled a scene in a movie called Asylum, but uh, oh, uh, it's an anthology film from the '60s. I'm not sure, uh, I saw that one. Where yeah, the, the bookend materials were going from patient to patient. They've all gone mad, and what what oh, caused yeah. them to go mad? And it turns out it was like some supernatural thing that, that they had suffered through. It's mm. like they committed a crime, they saw something, and then they went insane. Went to the yeah. It was a, there was asylum. every story was an excuse yeah. for why that person and was, uh, and one of yeah. one of the most famous uh, images from that movie. You've probably seen the poster of. The human head wrapped in paper with like string crisscrossing its face. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, yeah a guy killed. I think it was his wife, mm. and cut her up into pieces and ra- wrapped each piece in butcher paper. Ah. And at the end of that short, uh, all the pieces come to life and like start rolling through his living room Ooh, and kind of assembling. Creepy. Himself. It's really cool. That's yeah. a good one. Wow, yeah. that's a good gag. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, so so yeah, I I don't know if that was common practice at the time, but mm-hmm. yeah, it was, they're they're they've wrapped up the corpse in butcher paper. Yeah. Uh, so now our heroes start investigating, mm. and they're trying to figure out who this is. Uh, the doctor. Who could uh, it and, be? Yeah, right. Uh, well, they, they still think the dude's dead, so it takes them a bit to put that together. But the doctor dies as well. Uh, and uh, they eventually... There's a cute bit where they go to... Uh, they're trying to track down this mysterious woman mm. who was seen with the judge just right. before he died. Uh, and they don't know who it is. They don't. And, have and any... she doesn't want to have anything to do with this. By the no. way, she's like been hired to do this job, but she's not wicked. Yeah, herself. exactly. She's not invested in it. She's just you know. Um, but they're trying to track her down. They don't know her name. They don't even really know what she looks like. And they're asking around town. And um, they ask another sex worker, uh, "Hey, uh, we you give a hundred hundred dollars if you can give us information about this woman who was seen at this one restaurant." With this judge, like, two nights ago, or whatever it was. And she says, oh, no, 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 I don't know anything about that, sorry. And so, uh, Anthony Draco leaves. And then she turns to, like, her bodyguard, her, like, tough guy, and says, oh, they're trying to get Marie Champlain, go find her. And then Tauntaun shows up and says, hey, I was still here the whole time, I heard the name, thank you very much, here's a hundred dollars. <laughs> and that's a good bit. That's a really, that's a fun little, uh, uh, uh. Storytelling device. I thought they handled that real nicely. Um, of course, Anthony Draco, ladies' man, man's man, man about town, uh, gets to do a lot of making out in this episode, including with some characters who I don't even know who the fuck they are. <laughs> um, Just but, gets to make love to the pretty lady. Yes, he does. It's a good role if you can get it. Uh, and, uh, yeah, he tracks her down. He says initially the that uh, he just wants to hire her as a model. For his house of wax. They need models right. sometimes. Yeah. Um, and she says she won't do it. And then the villain, uh, Jason Cravat, uh, he tells her, no, no. 
do it. He's one of my victims. Go for it. Just make it creepy and weird. And so they, there, there, there's love. Like they're, well, they, they think is, it, you know, it's fine. You know, I think it redeems her and also establishes his character. It like really helps her. A he's he's going to be yeah. the lady man, but ladies man, but she's the one who's, uh, you know, capable of decency and love and actually, yeah. you know, likes this guy who's actually a little bit more decent, mm-hmm. way more than this weird criminal guy who's trying to like hire her to do these lascivious things. Yeah. So he's, they start like kind of seeing each other somewhat. And there's this really good moment actually where they finally figured out that corpse was definitely the judge and they have recreated the judge's head in wax. And she walks into the room and there's the judge and she, <laughs> she knew it was his dead. And she's like, ah, what the fuck? Jesus, you guys, what in the holy fuck? Come on. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. <laughs> just a moment of complete outrage. He's just standing in the middle of the wax like, museum. Seriously. Just, like, where's just, my just, fear flasher? Just, just like po- pointing, like looking back. For, uh, the, the fuck? Come on. Jeez. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> um... Anyway, our, our villain, he's going around, he's mangling people, he's putting mm-hmm. them on. There's a cute bit where he's got, like, this, like, um, uh, this, like, torture table. You know, like, you put someone on the table, and there's, like, straps for their arms, and you're gonna do horrible things to them. Mm-hmm. And uh, But as he's, like, getting ready for, like, I think it's the doctor is next, and he's gonna D- you know, disembody uh, him. Uh, I, I saw the name in the credits. The character mm-hmm. who plays Dr. Cobb is an actor named Richard O'Brien. Oh, I but got excited, but too. But it, it's... It's like, oh, is this like a young Richard O'Brien of the Rocky Horror Picture Show? Like he plays a teenager? No, it's not. It's not that Richard O'Brien. Just a different guy named Richard. It's a common name. Um, But as he's like getting this like torture room ready, Mm. he he just in a little moment of impishness, he takes a pillow and puts it down for his head, (laughs) so that his head. Oh, that's right. And I was like, that's a cute touch. I don't know (laughs) if Patrick (laughs) O'Neill just ad libbed that or not, but that's a that's a good little touch. That was fun. Um. There's a good uh, there's a good exchange at like a fancy party uh, where someone confronts um, Anthony Drago uh, about working in a house of wax and how oh, it is low art and I wouldn't mm. be caught dead there and he has none of it he's just like yeah a lot of ignorant people think that <laughs> <laughs> which has just made me really happy as someone who's like defended horror uh-huh. and other forms of of art that are often dismissed by others it's just nice to see mm. like. Having a proper defense for it, which is nice. We also get some good bits with Wilfred Hyde White, where we learn a little bit about his backstory. And he's got this cute little backstory where he says, like, Oh, yes, yes, I have a whole family, and I left them in England. Uh, and I, I send them money, and they leave me alone, and we are happy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, so part of me wants to read that, like, dejected maybe, aristocracy. Yeah, maybe it's dejected aristocracy. Maybe it's just easier than getting a divorce, which they'd rather have and they don't want. Uh, maybe he's gay and everyone like knows it and he just mm. sort of is here and doesn't have to worry about the, the, what the neighbors will think, etc. Yeah. Um, not something they could have said out loud in the on TV in the 60s, but maybe that's an interpretation. Either way, fun. Mm. Um, and um, yeah, it all, it's all going to come down to... Well, they, uh, yeah. The cops finally track him down and, yeah. uh, the, and, he, and they apprehend him. Yeah. Uh. Or, or well, they're not apprehend apprehend him. They all, almost apprehend him. He, yeah, he our, gets, our, our young, handsome detective from yeah, the, the beginning tracks him down. And he, he's about to get on a, a 
the carriage yeah. and, and right away and the, the that's when the cop gets him and this yeah. is when we get the cool uh there's a gag uh, where he's he's like okay the put fake your hand yeah. yeah put your hands up and he puts his hands up and like he lifts his hand and you're expecting to see like a knife or something and he's got a prosthetic hand a relatively convincing prosthetic hand uh and you're just like oh okay well i didn't see that coming and then bang there's a gun <laughs> hidden inside yeah the prosthetic hand just as a surprise and I was like, you know what? I, you got me. I actually didn't expect that to happen. That's mm-hmm. actually fun. So, so he gets away. I mean, the detective and, uh, dies. It's all it's all messed up. So yeah, poor, yeah. poor detective. R.I.P. Yeah. Uh, he, if if he's a popular character, he'll pull through. Yeah, um, sure. But uh, uh, but, but now then, it's, it's just yeah. Anthony Draco left. And yeah, Draco yeah. is the one that's that's left, and he's going to be the head of, of yeah. this like corpse that he's been building. So they decide to hole up in the House of Wax, mm. knowing that the killer will have to infiltrate the House of Wax. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, they're going to do like some cool like surprise like oh, where traps or something, yeah, 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 or like houses, trick him into yeah. using some of like the no, torch. No, no, no. The House of Wax. This opportunity. I suppose so. Um, yeah. uh, the House of Wax is. Just their vocation. I actually like yeah. that it's not... It's like their home base. It's not the plot. It's yeah. not where the action takes place. Yeah. Well, at the climax it does. I suppose so. It's like... Um, uh, to, to cite like 24, there was the CTU mm. office building. And yeah. It was rare that... It wouldn't be until like much later in the series that a bad guy would actually infiltrate that location. Like that yeah. was the safe place where the characters could hang out. On TV, you want to have... Even, even in like a production that isn't like a sitcom set... You want to have a location that you can come back to constantly. It's interior. You right, can control so all, it. All the characters can reconnoiter, yeah. Yeah. discuss what's going on, plan, it's lay out con- exposition and plot. It, you light it once and you've got it more or less <laughs> set. And so like it just it's, it's a time saver on a variety of levels. Uh, it's the library in Buffy mm. the Vampire Slayer. It's CTU in 24. It's Mulder's office in yeah, the X-Files. I've seen, uh, we, we've talked a lot of, uh, talked up a lot of shows that didn't mm. last very long. And there are too many series that we've seen that didn't have that. Yeah. Like, and it was like mm. recurring characters that had the same kind of job, but they didn't have the home base. Mm. Like, no, that's you, that's you need vital. It. You it, need the home base. It tells you, like, it, it gives the show a bit of personality. It becomes like an iconic location. Yeah. It tells you a little bit about the characters, if it's a place that they haunt oh, specifically. Um, which show was it where it was the spies, but they didn't meet in an office? They oh, they had, had like a bar. They had a was bar. A was that was Whiskey a, Cavalier? It was Whiskey Cavalier. Okay, yeah. yeah. Which is a fun show. It's a, it was a pretty fun show. Yeah, a little, a little, a little insubstantial, but stylish mm-hmm. and sexy. So yeah. good for them. Uh, but yeah, that was a fun one as well. Um, in Voyager, they tried to create another one. They tried to create a bar as well, and they ended up abandoning that eventually. Oh, you mean Star Trek Voyager. Yeah, Star Trek Voyager. Yeah, they decided the, there's the going to be a holodeck where there's always a bar. Yeah, well, they need a little visual variety, yes, so it's like we're going to have a bar set, and they're going to go play yeah. pool at this bar, and that's where the the officers yeah. will hang out. Ratings were flagging, yeah. so they turned it into a bikini beach. Yeah, It's like, we're going to go on the, the holodeck, and it's just yeah. this resort, and they just hired all these models and have them walk around in swimsuits. It was the most shameless thing. Yeah. Um, so the House of Wax would have been that, and there's a couple of, you know, again, you'll have a few you know, wax figures and sets you can always whip out. Mm. You can always have them working on one as a bit of business. The fact that they're making these, like, horror shows based on, like, Famous true, real life murders. Yeah, yeah, well, true crime. Like, things are happening now. It's like, instead of having a Netflix documentary about a horrible murder that happened two years ago, you can go to the House of Wax and see it only one week after it happened. Oh. And I and it actually justifies something that, like, the thing with the House of Wax is that I feel, generally speaking, you go once. 
You like want to go back to the House you, of Wax? You don't necessarily need to go back to the House of Wax every week. It's not like there's a new show every single week at the House of Wax that's substantially different. So I always wonder myself, like, how do they, like, I, I understand, like, if they're on, like, a big cultural hub. Yeah. You know, where they, there's a lot of tourism, a lot of people are visiting that city and will only need to go once, but there's always people who are there for the first time. Then it's justified. But just Baltimore? Like, how are you justifying bringing new... And it's it's heavily attended. It's not a failing business at mm. all. What's bringing them back every single week? And what's bringing them back is they're creating new attractions every week based on stuff that's in the newspapers right now. Clever. <laughs> a little, little gruesome, but clever. And, I have to admit. And if they're successful, they can buy all the wax they need to make new sculptures. Exactly. And they're talented Just melt, at it. melt down the ones that aren't popular. Yeah. I, that's smart, honestly. That's a good... And it's a great way. They, they do things like... Um, recreate the bodies and in order to illustrate their theories about the crime that's fun again a little grisly but fun it's great um so they know the killer is going to attack in the house of wax and they split up randomly (laughs) it's just like tantan here's like a weird noise oh i guess i'll go investigate here and not tell anybody he gets uh uh he gets incapacitated by the killer and in a weird kind of like not very well justified moment he's just like you are not my my target so i'll let you live and i'm like really okay i i guess but uh keep in mind that they've already made a wax figure of this guy uh-huh. uh complete with like one of his like stabbing weapons that yeah. he has affixed to his hand uh, so there's two of him in the scene. Yeah. And there's a big final fight. Uh, they start yeah. pulling like axes off the walls and stuff. Yeah. And... They're throwing like there's one like uh, scene where someone's about to be burned at the stake and Cravat like throws an actual torch onto it and it starts mm. on fire. It's reasonably epic. They do that one gag from the House of Wax movies where like you pass a series of heads and one of them is actually a real guy. Yeah, yeah. They don't, they don't, they don't do it as well as the movies did, but they do it. So, mm. and a uh, shout out. And eventually, I think it's Draco pushes him. Yeah, and uh, he gets impaled on his own wax sculpture. Yeah, so he, so. as a wax figure, ended up being the murder weapon that killed him. Well, that's fun. That's fun. <laughs> that's fun. And, and then uh, he's he's like impaled there, and he's upright. And he kind of like slumps over. Oh. He's dead. They got him. And then there's a fade <laughs> to this. the wax figure. With a new wax figure <laughs> impaled on, yeah, on the first wax figure. So now his death in the wax museum is an exhibit in the wax museum with two of him. One representing the real guy, one representing the wax figure that killed him. Hmm. That's meta. Yeah, <laughs> kudos for that. And they're just talking about. Would okay, be great if it's like I'm not dead. <laughs> oh shit! I got impaled on the same one again. <laughs> they have to build a third version of him. Be great. Anyway, they're wrapping up all the loose ends in the story. They're explaining away any little bits of plot. Uh, they explain that the love interest for the episode is going away for a couple of years. Uh, I think she gets like a two-year sentence. Yeah, like, which uh, is... Okay, you, you did something yeah. criminal, but she's okay. Yeah, yeah. And the implication is that prison is just sort of fine in 1900, uh, which is like, that's going to be a rough couple of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, in any I, case... I'm... Anthony uh, Draco is just like eh, out of sight, out of mind, and then and then they, there's a twist ending. There's a good twist ending, actually, it's more of a revelation than a twist. I don't know; it doesn't really make you reassess it's, it's, anything. But well, no, but it's like yeah. it's a, it's a, a surprise. It's a surprise. Uh, they look at one of their uh, 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 one of their exhibits and just says, 
hey, did you add this new person to this exhibit? They look so real. And then it turns out she's actually dead. It's a, an actual human corpse is yeah. in the middle of this like, wax. Killed museum. in an Iron Maiden in their own building. And it ends like the camera's like pulling out as they're like looking at the body. And like, okay, well, uh, looks like the murder weapon was here. And, like, yeah, they're actually, they're like, investigating right away. Yeah. yeah. Promise of a new, of a new mm-hmm. adventure ahead. Yeah. For a movie, it's a little, you know, sort of sequelizing, like, okay, this is hopeful. But for a pilot, that's exactly what I want. The promise of another adventure. Mm -hmm. Like, even if you weren't necessarily in love with this exact tale, it ends with a great idea. Get you excited for next week. You know? And that this is the kind of shit that's just going to happen on this show. Mm -hmm. Um, Uh, As a... as I was saying you know, earlier, yeah. as we were going through like sort of the early scenes where they're introducing new characters and kind of establishing who the killer is before they actually get to the story, all of mm. that is great television. Yeah. But all of that is really bad cinema. It's not good film storytelling. So they released this in theaters, mm-hmm. and I can't imagine people liked it that much. Apparently, it did okay. Uh, all right. Like financially, like it did okay. Maybe um, just for like the violence and the you know listening well, subject again, matter. It it had a good it had a, 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 a maybe not good but it had like a big gimmick at a time when that was a big draw. It hit where the um, iron was hot. Um, I'm just really surprised they didn't play off of House of Wax. Yeah, like, seriously, House of Wax was a blockbuster. You released a, a pilot for a House of Wax TV series. And you don't even put, like, wax in the title? Return to the House of Wax? The House of wa- uh, mm-hmm. Wax Reopen? I don't know, something. No, they just called it Chamber of Horrors, which and you can call anything Chamber of Horrors. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's a title that's actually been used before. In fact, when I was looking up this movie, I kept running into other movies called mm-hmm. that. Um, I actually started to watch the wrong movie. For, <laughs> so you watched one like, from the 40s or something? Yeah, it's like, yeah. wait, this is this doesn't look like it's from the 60s. This is a 40s movie. Yeah, you did that too. Mm-hmm. Um so I feel like that's a weird missed opportunity. Obviously, the show would have just been called House of Wax, but as a movie, come on, just, hmm. just do it. Um, so that's weird. As a movie, it's a mixed bag. I agree. I think the first act is takes way too long to get going. It's a little bit of a jumble. The gimmick is cute, but it doesn't really work. It doesn't really add that much other than sort of like a <laughs> gimmick. I kind of like the gimmick. That's Because I like that feeling of going, ha ha, gimmick. Yeah. But you're, the thing that it does, that it does really, really well is tell me what the show is going to look like every week mm. and make me want to see that show. Yeah. Um, I, I would watch this show. Like, if a Grizzly could, Murders every week in the 1960s and, like, a House of Wax. That would have been, been great. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a like, great like, like a Grizzly Murder mystery program where, mm. yeah, House of Wax proprietors are the yeah. detectives. Essentially um, horror fans, horror and true crime fans. Mm. It, the version of that from 1900. Yeah. Solved uh, murders, great. Things that are kind of missing. I feel like the three main characters, we get sort of general ideas of who they are. Yeah. But there's so much time spent with the villain. Yeah. And with the supporting players that they don't get a lot of scenes where they just get to hang out yeah. and do character stuff. Yeah. When they so, do, it's um, good, but it's too brief. It's really brief. Yeah. I feel like, you know, cut out like the ant, maybe. Or the dashing yeah. detective. Yeah, you like, can find that, ex- You don't need those characters. Well, Give, the dashing detective is kind of a fake out. You think he's going to be a main character and I, then he dies. I, I suppose. I don't but mind that one. But, I just, yeah. I'm just trying to find space to give the three lead characters a little bit more I time. think we just don't need to see so much of what the serial killer is up to. Yeah. I think, I, well, I get it, you're building him up as like kind of like a, a con- an arch villain, but you know. Consider the way like Columbo was constructed. Mm-hmm. How much time at the beginning of a Columbo episode mm-hmm. was devoted to the killer and the actual committing of the crime. Yeah. Uh, and then Columbo think, just sort of saunters in at some point. Yeah, yeah. like, like he, yeah. he doesn't come in until like, you know, earliest a third of the way through. Yeah. 
Uh, so I think that that's what they're trying to do. Where this is actually going to be like a villain of the week kind of a show, and these detectives are going to come in and, and fix it. If they could keep the villains interesting, yeah, like week after week, like again, make then, it like Hannibal. Everyone is a serial killer with a gimmick. There you, you know, go. like yeah, that would work. Um, that could work. I mm-hmm. I think, and and you know, I think yeah. Baltimore at the time, I, this, I think Poe might have been alive. You got a Poe be. A... Uh, it's ha- I'm hazy on the exact year it's set, but you yeah. can fudge it. I just say, you okay, know? oh yes, uh, that that Edgar Allan Poe fellow is going to come in. Yeah. I, I don't don't give him any booze. It would be kind of fun, like the more uh, historical it is. Oh, let me see if I can see if there's a, if there's an actual year written down here anywhere. Like yeah, when, when it actually. Takes yeah, I am curious. Hang on, let's see. No, 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 non specific. Kind of it's, non-specific. It's just, it's just in Baltimore. It's just in Baltimore, and the people are wearing frocks. So it's either the mm. late 1800s, early 1900s. Uh, but yeah, there's 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 leeway there. There's a lot of historical figures. You can get famous authors in mm. there. Basically, you're pulling a young Indiana Jones Chronicles vibe. <laughs> but that could be really neat, actually. Mm. That could be a genuinely cool thing to have Sir Arthur Conan Doyle show up. Oh, that would have been fun. You know, as yeah. a character to help solve a mystery or two. Like, that would be adorable. Mm. I don't I don't know if a lot of shows and movies were doing that at the time. That's sort of like hmm. taking historical figures and making them sort of active participants in fictionalized tales. I mean, I know it had been done, but I don't know if it was like the gimmick it is well, what, nowadays. I guess uh, I guess this was long before Voyagers. I was trying to think of... Oh, yeah. yeah well, well Doctor Who had existed, but it was yeah, really so. just almost at the same time. So, hmm. like, it was, like, not a big the, deal yet. It wasn't precedent. You know? yeah, yeah, and, yeah. They, and they ha- even they hadn't really done that exact shtick. At least not at yeah. first. There's a lot of potential here for a, sure. a, a good TV series uh, if yeah. they allowed that level of violence on TV. Because yeah, because they didn't. Yeah, um, I, I can see why they didn't put this on television. I get uh, it. Just in, in terms it. of its its, it's tone bit, and its you know actual level of horror. Yeah, it's a bit much. Uh, and I imagine as as the series would go on, even if it is a villain of the week, and we're going to spend a lot of time with the killer, mm-hmm. like more time with the killer than we would with the detectives. Um, we would at least get to know the detectives as time went on. Yeah, by but just the, the in aggregate, yeah. we would eventually get that. But I I agree. I actually think like focusing too much on the villain is is. I think you open with the villain doing a heinous crime. Mm-hmm. I think that's your cold open every time. I think that's the cold open here is one of the better cold opens I've ever seen in a show. <laughs> it's just basically like, what the fuck am I watching? Holy God! Like it really grabbed me. It's, it's I was really grim. Yeah, yeah like it's it, it, almost every writer. Like, there, there are exceptions, right? Just want to ease you into it with mood and tone and maybe a quietude and then sort of ease you into the storyline. But a lot of writers want to grab you right away. They figure if I can grab you and, you know, page one, sentence one, paragraph one, something, you'll want to read the book or read the whole screenplay or watch the rest of the show. Um, and some are better at this than others. And this one is just right. Just the right degree of old school silent movie melodrama <laughs> yeah, slash yeah. like really gruesome gross shit and i just think they just they oof, i'm really impressed by it actually um so i i i, I like it as well i think you know you, we do need more time with the characters you've got three leads that's a lot of leads to juggle mm. you know two like just holmes and watson you might be able to just shoehorn into anything. But when you got three, you got to come up with stuff for them to, all three of them to do every single week. Yeah. Spending too much time with the villain is going to detract from that. Uh, so yeah, I think, I think this is a show that would probably find its footing and find its pacing over time. Like by, it's one of those ones that like 
as I said before, like the first six episodes are really your pilot because that's where you find, you know, what the characters are really good at, what the actors bring to it, refocus it a little bit. And by that point, the show kind of feels like the show. So it would probably go through some adjustments, but I'm going to say it right now. I, I think this was canceled too soon. I think it was too. Yeah. Um, and we've, we've seen a lot of TV shows just in general where, I mean, name any series, any one series where the pilot is the best episode. Like that doesn't happen really. And it's not a good uh, sign. You want, there's so many other episodes. Yeah. You don't want it to peak at the beginning. I mean, some shows do have, like, striking, really mm-hmm. uh, interesting pilots that got a big crowd right away. Yeah, Something like, like Lost. Lost is a great um, example. Uh, Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. But, uh, of, you know, waves. But something like this, which is going to be, a, like, a serialized format, um, not like the, the big story arcs. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it, it it's okay that it's a little bit shabby around the edges, because mm-hmm. you can tell this is the kind of thing they're going to refine away. So I agree. Yeah. I think it definitely was canceled too soon. I would love to have seen a, a really super violent 1960s detective Ugh. series. Can you imagine? Ugh. With, like, a super villain every week. It, it's a little... It feels a little bit ahead of its time. It feels mm. like this is the sort of thing that would come out, like, in the 80s or the 90s, or it would be like a sci-fi channel original or something. Like yeah. Someone who, a, a, a network like Fox or something like that, which is trying to actually push a boundary because that's the way it could compete mm. with your NBCs and ABCs. Yeah, I, like, that's when this show could have really found something, you know? The, the problem is, I think, in the 80s, maybe not, but, uh, like, later on, if they tried to do it on, like, the sci-fi channel, yeah, uh, they would not have had the, the tweeness that makes it mm. so watchable. The, the main detective <sighs> characters are actually kind of like light and up most of the mm-hmm. time for however grim the violence is. Yeah. There's not a lot of like serious morning. Oh no. Yeah. Everything's really dark and terrible. Well, it's maybe like, no, it's BBC dark and terrible. would have been but... a better bet. There you they, go. They, they, yeah. they capture that ton on a lot of their shows. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're getting they're rewarded for it as well. So mm-hmm. that might be interesting. Um, anyway, that's it for Cancel Too Soon this week. Uh, next week on Cancel Too Soon is Scary Toba Continues. We're going to do a show I actually can't believe is a real show. I haven't seen the pilot yet, but when I heard the title, I found out it was a failed pilot. I was like, okay, you're making that up. That's like a that's like a, that's like a college humor gag or something, like, right? You you sent me a brief description. Like you were looking yeah. for like interesting shows and you found yeah. you stumbled upon this one. You sent me the description. I said there's no way we're not doing that. <laughs> Like, so, uh, so what do you think of this? Why did you ask? <laughs> We're doing this one. That, that just that's and that's that. And uh, the the episode that we're doing, the failed pilot we're doing, is for a show called Anonymous Rex. Here's the premise: Dinosaurs didn't go extinct 65 million years ago. Today, I'm reading off of IMDb. Today, every 10,000th person in the country is secretly a dinosaur wearing sophisticated solid light holographic disguises to maintain their disguise. And our protagonist is a velociraptor who's a private investigator impersonating a human. Dinosaurs in disguise detective show. It is a, yeah, it is a monster detective show. Dinosaur monster P.I. A real thing that happened. It's got Sam Trammell from True Blood. It's got Daniel Baldwin. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we couldn't not do that. 
That's just not an option. Yeah, yeah. So next uh, time, I'm, I'm embarrassed that it took us this long to find it. I frankly, didn't hear about yeah. it until I was just doing research for this this particular run of episodes. Yeah. So next time on Cancel Too Soon, next week uh, we will be reviewing Anonymous Rex. Well done. Well done, indeed. Anyway, thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you for joining us. If you haven't subscribed, please do. Uh, we Again, we're going to bring Cancel Tuesday back more often, but we have a lot of other shows. Uh, we also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network, where we have a lot of exclusive programming that is only available on our Patreon. Mm. We're reviewing every single episode of Star Trek ever. We have a huge back catalog of that. If you like us talking about older movies like Around the World in 80 Days, uh, we have a whole show called Only the Best. We review every single movie ever nominated for Best Picture. And actually, we're getting pretty close to around the world in 50 days in that uh, uh, because we're in the mid 50s now. 80 days, but yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. What I, it, 50s, 50s, 80s. 80s. 50s, 80s. <clears throat> Whoops. Um, so we got that. Uh, and of course, you can listen to all of our new episodes ad free. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a real treat. So thank you to all of our patrons. Without you, we couldn't exist. Uh, if you know anything about Chamber of Horrors you want to share with us, you want to uh, just talk about anything at all, ask us questions, our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We might read your email in an upcoming episode of our podcast, We've Got Mail, which has been released more sporadically lately because we made room for Cancel Too Soon, but we'll do a couple episodes this month. Um and, uh, of course, we have a P.O. Box. Whitney, what is that? Yeah, send us an actual physical letter. Send it to the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Yep. Uh, and, of course, we're on social media. Uh, we're at Critic Acclaim on Twitter. I'm still calling it Twitter. And Blue Sky. Uh, and we're on all of the various social medias, at William Bibiani and at Whitney Seibold. Mm. Uh, so thank you, everybody, once again, for joining us. That is a wrap. We will see you next season.